We've all been hurt. We all carry scars. We can all overcome these things and be healed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's build that relationship together right here. Welcome to Healing Scars with Pastor Burton. Hey everybody, today's episode of Healing Scars with Pastor Burton is sponsored by Waking Bear Coffee. Waking Bear Coffee offers an assortment of coffee and teas and part of every purchase goes towards veteran services and ministries. Shipping is free anywhere in the United States. Get yours today at wakingbearcoffee.com. Again, that's wakingbearcoffee.com. Hey everybody, welcome to the sanctuary. It is so good to have you with us today. And for those of you who are new, let me just take a moment to say welcome. Welcome one and all. Um, For some time now, we've been going through and working our way through the least preached books of the Bible. Now, of course, in the process, we've explored many of the shortest books in the Bible. And we've had other sermons and series kind of intermixed in there as well. To date, we have completed nine of the ten least preached books. Today... We're going to round this out and begin the 10th book. Surprise, surprise, right? Now, it is a short book, and being three chapters long, you would think it's one of the shortest books. Uh, however, you would be wrong. Um, you know, it falls in roughly at the top one third of the Bible. There are 23 shorter books before it. So, suffice to say, we're going to spend a little bit of time going through it, at least a couple of weeks. All right. Um, Now, of course, we're going to start with a little bit of background on this book and set things up, you know, talk a little bit about the author and and so we can frame the picture here. So we're looking at the book of Joel. And frankly, there's just not a lot that's known about him. We know he's the son of Pethul, and we also know that this book was probably written during the time he was a prophet, which was during the reign of King Joash, uh, around 855 to approximately 796 BC. Uh, with that said, however, I do want to point out that the date of when this was written really isn't nearly as important as the message it contains, which is simply this. Sin will bring the judgment of God upon us all. However, God will be merciful to anyone who repents and turns back to him. You know, and, and such is the message of hope that he's given us. You know, this is why Jesus went to the cross for us, to give us this hope and to remind us, you know, God, we, we need to turn to God. And, you know, and for those of us who turn to God and, you know, uh, but, you know, believe in, in him as our, our, our king and, you know, Jesus as our savior and all, you know, we have that hope. We, we know uh, that he will save us and we will be joined with him in heaven, Right. Uh, that that is uh, the promise uh, that the the gospel gives us. Now, 
as we've seen in so many places throughout the Bible, uh, this book was written as a warning to the people of Judah who in their prosperity had become very complacent, arrogant, idolatrous, and really they took God for granted. With, you know, and, and it's so easy to do when things are going well. You know, Joel was warning them that, you know, the same thing that we all need to be warned about today, that God's judgment is coming because of our society and our culture's sins, and that we, you know, as a society need to turn back to God. All right. Um, it, it really is that simple. You know, we, and we've seen this a lot. Uh, this is, you know, kind of a common theme throughout the Bible that, you know, hey, you know, guys, we need to sh- you need to shape up or ship out because, you know, th- things are coming and if you're not ready, it's going to be rough. It's going to be bad. You're not going to like the outcome, right? Uh, plain, plain and simple, you know. Um, going through this book, we're going to see that it is split into two parts. The first being the day of locust and the second part being the day of the Lord. And throughout, you know, the these two parts, we are also going to see that there are three specific themes. One of punishment, one of forgiveness, and the uh, one of the promise of the Holy Spirit. Okay. There let's look at, you know, there are things in this world, in this life that we're witness to that just leave us in absolute awe. Right, I mean, there's there's not really a better word for it. Just awe, just like wow, you know. And we're talking about those things that are man-made, and those things, you know, those those. It's, it's what we look at, and we we term as natural events, you know, uh, you know, uh, nature, that sort of thing, right? Um, you know, sometimes that awe, it, it's something absolutely amazing, and other times, something absolutely horrific. If you think about it, you know, a, a sunset, you know, that, that's something here even just in, in uh, you know, where where I live here in New Mexico that, that we're big on, you know, the sunsets. Um, you know, a meteor shower, the birth of a child, right? Absolutely beautiful things. And then there's things like Pearl Harbor and the events that led up to, uh, you know, the dropping of the, uh, the atomic bomb and the wake of devastation left in the wake of, you know, all these things, you know, various conflicts and wars. Um, you know, here's a big one that's, that we're seeing all around the world in various areas right now, you know, hurricanes, uh, tornadoes, earthquakes, think about tsunamis, you know, we, we've been seeing these things hit and a lot of people um, have suffered because of it, you know, just in the last, you know, couple, couple weeks really cut last couple of days we've been seeing these things in the news yet you know we've been seeing things unfold and, and it leaves us in awe and it goes all the way back to the garden of eden and, and you think about it you think of all these things that i just talked about and all the other things that you can imagine and they all pale in comparison to the the full power of our god and that's something we haven't even seen yet. You know, we, we, we've just seen an offering. You know, the, the, the one who created it all, created us. You see, God's judgment, it's coming for us all. It, it really is. However, he's knocking at the door. And he's ready to forgive anyone and everyone 
who will open that door, repent from their sin, and turn back to him. And it really is that simple. It really is. Now, for those of you with your Bibles and those of you who are taking notes, turn with me to Joel chapter 1. And uh, we're going to start with the first four verses here. So Joel 1, verses 1 through 4, the Bible says this. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, son of Pethuel, hear this, you elders, listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. What the locust swarm has left, the great locust have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. God's saying this. He's saying, listen up and listen good. Because what he has to say, not it, it doesn't just need to be heard. It needs to be learned from. And it doesn't need to just be learned from one group of people. It needs to get passed on for future generations that we need to learn and teach our children so that they can learn from the past as well. One of the greatest things that we have to pass on in our own life's journey is where we've been, what we've done, how God has been there for for us through it all, guiding us, correcting us, convicting us of our sins, helping us with our mistakes, showing us mercy, grace, and love. Sharing all this is easily one of the best ways that we can also encourage others in their faith, in their walks with God, in their relationships with Jesus. And, and not only that, but to introduce others to Jesus who don't even know him yet. See, and that's part of the problem out there that we're seeing today with this whole cancel culture, isn't it? You know, people don't like things, you know, the, it, it was ugly and it was brutal and, you know, the, people were hurt. So we're going to just erase it from the history books and tear down statues and monuments and buildings and this and that. And we're going to pretend like it never happened. We're going to sugarcoat everything and just put like the good stuff out there that we agree with in the hopes that it's going to make a better future. And you know what? That is 100% wrong. 100% wrong. Even here in the Bible, it's saying, you know what? Things have happened. Things are happening. We need to learn from it and we need to pass on what we've learned so that it doesn't happen again and it doesn't happen worse so that people don't keep straying from God and doing the wrong things. It's a hard lesson. And unfortunately, a lot of people are going to learn this the hard way, plain and simple. Now, the next part of this passage, it literally says locust, which in and of themselves can be absolutely devastating in their own right. Just as bad as a literal army, right? And they can come through and they can just utterly destroy an entire ecosystem. That's how brutal they are. Now, because of the detail that is given here, some people believe that Joel's meaning is that an actual plague of locust is coming. Okay, maybe. However, as we'll see in later descriptions given in the book here, 
the reference could also be to an invading army. Regardless of which one it is, or if it's something else entirely, the locusts are a symbol of impending devastation. Plain and simple. Of God's punishment for people's sin. Now, what Joel will be referring to as the day of the Lord later on in this book. That's that's what this is. This this impending doom, this devastation, this army that's going to be coming. Um, it, it's it's God's punishment for the sins of culture and society. All right. Um, continuing on, verses five through ten here. The Bible says, "Wake up, you drunkards, and weep. Wail, all uh, you drinkers of wine. Wail because of the new wine." For it has been snatched from your lips. A nation has invaded my land, a mighty army without number. It has the teeth of a lion, the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vines and ruined my fig trees. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it away, leaving their branches white. Mourn like a virgin in sackcloth, grieving for the betrothed of her youth. Grain offerings and drink offerings are cut from the house of the Lord. The priests are in mourning, those who minister before the Lord. The fields are ruined. The ground is dried up. The grain is destroyed. The new wine is dried up. The olive oil fails. a lot there isn't it you know and this this really you know this kicks off in verse five as something that we should all be able to relate to you know god's calling people out he's calling people out say hey wake up hey you right and we're no different today than they were back then uh you know in in this respect you know people People using things to the point of excess, right? Abusing substances and themselves to the point that their senses are dulled. You know, and we're talking both physically and spiritually. Really, I should be saying physically, mentally, and spiritually. Because people are are doing this to the point that they have become oblivious to their own sins, haven't they? You know, they can see everyone else's but their own, you know, or they just ignore their own. They're, people become very narcissistic, right? Very narcissistic. Oh, I'm so great. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm great. Yeah, I'm next to perfect. You know, yeah, I make a couple mistakes, but I'm okay. I'm, I'm good, right? That's how people look at themselves. But they're quick to point out other people's mistakes, aren't they? You know, or, you know, even if they do you know, acknowledge, you know, hey, you know, they got, they have some missteps in their life. They're, they're quick to find excuses too. You know, they, they have those, those petty little excuses to try to justify things. But I'll remind you, sin is sin. And those little excuses that people come up with, they don't hold with God. 
They don't hold at all. There is no excuse for it. Not one. We've had the warnings. We have the commandments. We have the Bible, the word of God saying, hey, don't do it. And just as Joel warned them, we are being warned today, here and now, that we need to make some serious changes in our lives, in our societies, in our culture, you know, um, from one end to the next, um, to, that, you know, that we need to repent from our sins and turn back to God before it is too late. You know, being productive and being prosperous as a society, living in peace, these are all blessings from God. And they're taken for, for granted regularly. Every single day, they're taken for granted. People regularly love to spend their fruits of their blessings getting drunk, you know, or getting high, or both. And it doesn't matter if it's at a bar, at a park, or at home. It does not matter. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8, the Bible says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But, but people, they, they'd rather be muddy-minded, wouldn't they? They don't want to deal with the hardships in their lives, the tough things that they're facing on a day-to-day basis. You know, they go out, they get high, they get drunk. And let's face it, it doesn't always have to be booze. It doesn't always have to be drugs. People will use an assortment of other things to escape their realities, won't they? TV, movies, video games, you know, your adrenaline junkies going out and, you know, finding that next big rush. You know, and then living it up with their their friends, recant, recanting, uh, you know those those glory days and those glorious things that they did. And yeah, people, you know, I, I hate to to say, you know, like that they're like Al Bundy, but I mean, we all know those those people that are, you know, midlife or even later, and they're still recalling their glory days from when they were in school playing sports, whether it was in elementary or, you know, middle school or junior high, depending on where you lived or high school or even college for that matter. But for the most part, you know, uh, much earlier than college, for the most part, it was in grade school, right? Somewhere between first grade and graduation. Uh, You know, people, they get hung up on these things. Those become their drugs, uh, you know, and it's at these times, you know, when, when people become very, you know, muddy-minded, uh, that, that, that this is when the devil has the greatest influence over us, manipulating us from turning to God, you know, and going down that path to hell. You know, he pulls us away from him. Why? Because we're not thinking clearly. We don't have our, our, our heads on straight. We're not thinking the way we should. Instead, we're living in the bottom of a bottle, you know, or... or, or you know, in that needle or that joint, you know, or, you know, cutting something up and snorting it or, you know, or running headlong into something or, you know, jumping out of planes or off the side of mountains or whatever, what have you. It doesn't matter, you know, getting lost in some sort of entertainment, you know. And, and what's more is that in in the, the times of destruction to come, the destruction is going to be so thorough the people won't even have anything to sacrifice, you know, or to make an offering with to God. 
Now, think about even today, we still make offerings to God, don't we? You know, we're not ripping apart animals or any kind of sacrifices like that anymore. You know, however, for many, you know, the form of, you know, their money or using different gifts and talents and stuff, uh, you know, to put up mildly in, in today's terms, uh, you know, all those instruments, those tools would be gone. You know, money, gone. Food, gone. Uh, you know, the the struggle for food and drink is going to be so bad, let alone a way to prepare it when you have it. Uh, you know, it's going to be a struggle at best. Even the various forms of entertainment in which we pass the time today are going to be taken from us. Hardship and ruin are going to become the words of the day. You know, uh, these are things that we, we cannot and will not escape without turning to God before time runs out. You know, the, think about it. I, food and drink alone, you know, those necessities of life, the necessities, not even just the wants, but the needs are going to be a struggle to come by. Think about that, you know, you're, if it were to happen, you know, today, you know, how many, how many of you would be able to get along without your cell phones, without TVs, you know, people are sacrificing cherished, uh, you know, items just to try to come up with a way to pay for food or drink during those times, you know, when they, when they come, you know, why? Because well, you figure if they're already scarce, guess what? The price is going to go up as well. Plain and simple. There's a lot of things that we don't think about and that we take for granted. You know, we, we like to complain about politics and the politicians. Oh, they're driving up the price of gas again because of this party or that party or whatever. And they take for granted that they can even afford it, let alone have it. Meanwhile, there's parts of the world where people don't. People are starving, right? And it's going to get worse. I digress. Let's turn back to Joel chapter 1 here. We're going to look at verses 11 and 12. The Bible says, Despair, you farmers. Wail, you vine growers. Grieve for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field is destroyed. The vine is dried up, and the fig tree is withered. The pomegranate, the palm, and the apple, or depending on your translation, or apricot, tree, all the trees of the field are dried up. Surely the people's joy is withered away. See, the warning's here. You know, keep pushing it, people. Keep trying to bury yourself. Keep trying to dull your senses in a futile effort to make the struggles of the world go away. Keep trying to wait out something that's not going to go away. Keep trying to act like you're in control when clearly you're not. Not a single one of us are. See, it says right here, the people's joy was going to dry up and go away. Let me ask you this. What is your joy? What is it? Wealth? Relationships? Health? Finances? You know, different trinkets? You know, the little resources that you have? Time? There's a big one right there that we forget about. You know, whatever it is, whatever it comes from, there's a solution right here in the Bible to regain the joy that you're missing in life. 
And we're going to see it in the following verses. It's going to come from reflecting on what God's about to tell you, what God expects from each and every one of us. Simple acts of obedience that show our love for him and our faith in him. Right? Now, there's certain things. I'm not saying, hey, you're going to get rich. No. I'm not going to say that certain ailments are going to leave your body. No. Not, no, I'm not a prosperity preacher. Not going to happen. There are certain things the Bible clearly tells us that if you know we, we are obedient and faithful, that our treasures will be stored up for us in heaven. And that's truly where our greatest treasures are. You know, where our heart is is where our treasure is. And if our heart is set on heaven, guess what? That's the best treasure that is promised by the Bible. The day that we go to be with the Lord and fellowship with Him. In perfect harmony. However, like I said, right here, it does tell us what we need to do in order to find joy in our lives. Not stuff, but joy, happiness. Something we would all benefit to meditate on. Okay, This section right here that we're going to go into, it's called A Call to Lamentation. Now, that's one of those words that gets put out there a lot, isn't it? A little jargon. Lamentation. What is that? What is lamentation? A lot of preachers like to put that out there. Oh, lament. You know, lam- lamenting, all that kind of stuff. L- lamented. You know, lamentation. Matter of fact, there's a whole book written on it in there. Well, but what is it? Well, lamentation, it, it is a... It's, it means, you know, to to be in sorrow. You know, it's a call of, a call of sorrow that comes from loss and regret. Um, you know, it's it could best be compared to, you know, that, that feeling you have when you lose a loved one. You know, and I'm not talking, you know, breaking up with a boyfriend or a girlfriend or anything. I mean, like, like losing a loved one. You know, like with that relative that you're super close to, you know, uh, passes away and gets called home. You know, um, you know, by God and that sort of thing, you know, that, that just, that, that hole, that emptiness that's left in you, that, that's what it, what it is to lament. That's what that feeling is. All right. Um, so go, going in here, Joel one verses 13 and 14, the Bible says, put on sackcloth, you priest and mourn, wail, you who minister before the altar. Come spend the night in sackcloth, you who minister before my God. For the grain offerings and drink offerings are withheld from the house of your God. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. I love that. Even right here, you know. And call, call the sacred. Come to, it's saying call, come together as the church. It's one of our greatest tools, right there, isn't it? One of our greatest assets. Coming together as a church. You know, Bible tells us where two or more are gathered, God is with us. All right. Now let's break down what this is talking about here. A couple parts. Um, let's start with the sackcloth. All right. We've talked about this in the past. Um, but you know, this is a good time to remind everybody what this is, if, um, especially those of you who are new and don't know what it is. So sackcloth, another one of those terms 
sackcloth is simply a clothing made from like a, it's like a it's a type of burlap. Basically, you think of like a a burlap sack, right, or like a sandbag or burlap cloth, but it's been turned into uh, a garment of sorts, you know, a type of clothing. You know, there it's it's really uncomfortable, itchy, you know, to the point that it becomes painful. And, and this clothing, th- it was worn during specific times. It was worn uh, when people were in mourning. And also, you know, because mourning, because it, it, it served as a, as a reminder, you know, to, to come close to God. And then also during a time of repentance, uh, you know, and it, it was that outward demonstration uh, of a person's repentance. And it showed sh- their shame and their humility coming before God. We don't really see signs of people repenting anymore, do we, though? Not like, you know, these outward signs like this, let alone intentionally deciding to wear something like this, right? And it, it, just the description doesn't sound comfortable, does it? And, you know, and, and, you know, sleeping, you know, those, those who have slept with like a true, a, a true wool blanket, you know, uh, if, if you've never done it, sometimes it could be really hard. Depending on how much wool, if it's mixed with certain things, the more that's in there, the itchier it gets. Um, you know, some of them are really uncomfortable. This is a type of blanket. They wor- it works really good. It's great for protecting you from certain elements. Uh, however, typically, you know, when you have something like a wool blanket, you want to have some kind of garment, some kind of clothing, um, if you would, like like a certain type, like you know, pajamas, if you would. Um, between you and that blanket, you know, to kind of protect you from it. You know, the blanket serving a purpose, it's keeping you warm, it's protecting you from certain things. However, you, you need a little bit of protection from the blanket too, right? Um, so to decide, hey, I want to take something that's really uncomfortable and painful to show myself, you know, before God as being um, sorrowful, you know, being apologetic, you know, re- repenting, you know, say, like, hey, I recognize, you know, I've sinned, I've messed up. You know, and to wear this, you know, it doesn't even, this isn't something that even comes up on our radar anymore. For most people, it's a quick prayer and moving along. It's like, God, forgive me, I screwed up again, right? Now, do we need to wear stuff like this? These, you know, today, I should say, you know, these days, modern days, no. I I think there's some people out there that probably would benefit from it. Um, But, you know, no. Be, you know, because it's it's a visual, you know, true repentance itself, true regret, you know, um, of one's sins, you know. Uh, so to be truly repentant before, you know, the Lord is to make life change, you know, and life change. These are these those things that you do in life, those that, you know, those changes, those steps that you take that turn you away from, you know, the sins that you've been committing and back to God. These are steps that you take to make sure that you don't do it again. That you don't have that misstep again. Right? The The next part of this, however, is something that we should absolutely all still do. And, and, because, and there's something to be learned from it. Fasting. Another piece of jargon. You know, that, that lingo preachers love to throw out there. Oh, you need to fast. I fasted last Sunday and it was great, right? Oh, we got, we have a sign-up list. We want everybody here to sign up to to fast at least, you know, one, one day out of the week for this period of time. And, 
you know, it's going to be great. And we're just going to fast and we're going to, you know, pray. And that's, that's all there is to it. They don't actually explain what it is. You know, what is fasting? Let me, let me break it down for you. Okay. Um, you know, much like, like the burlap cloth, it's another outward demonstration. Uh, in this one, though, it, it, it's a little bit more than that because not only is it a show of humility, it's a sacrifice. See, a fast, and that's why it says, you know, right there in the scripture, uh, have a holy fast. You know, a, a fast is a period of time when people sacrifice something. Typically, especially, you know, in those times, it meant that you gave up a meal, that you didn't eat. Maybe uh, you didn't eat for, you know, days on end. And not only that, during this time, instead of eating, uh, you know, people go to God in, in humility, sorrowful, you know, for their sins and in prayer. You know, a reminder, prayer, you know, that's that's a person's conversation with God. That's how we talk to God. And, and you know, it's a fast, you know, it's a demonstration of a person uh, repenting of their sin, turning to God and saying, hey, man, I need you. I need help. And, you know, and, uh, you know, please forgive me, you know. Asking for his mercy and, and rededicating themselves, basically, you know, kind of, you know, de- devoting themselves to him as, as a child would, you know, they're showing their loyalty. You know, we don't, we don't make animal sacrifices anymore for this. Instead, we make sacrifices of ourselves, of our wants, uh, of our desires, you know, our various needs. Uh, you know, you know, we sacrifice these things to God because we know that he has our best interest at heart. Now, here's a caveat. Giving up a meal and praying during that time instead, it's a small sacrifice. Uh, however, it does not necessarily have to be food, right? And it, it, those of you who are familiar with Lent, that's basically what, what Lent is. It's a type of fast, right? Um, but it doesn't have to be food, um, you know, after all, there are some people out there that have certain medical issues where they need to be able to eat in order to to take certain medications or to regulate their blood sugars or whatever. Uh, you know, there are other things that we can give up in order to make that sacrifice. You know, um, one that comes to mind really quickly for me, I and mean, for those of you who know, who are many of you don't know, uh, last couple of weeks I've been without a car. Uh, it's it's been in the shop had a you know. Uh, some big uh, serious parts went out that they had to order and taken some time to, to come in so that they could fix it. And, uh, you know, because of that, I, you know, luckily, you know, I, I, I have my bike. Um, but as you know, if you live here in the Metro area, you know, we've had a quite a bit of rain lately. So I've had to depend on others for, uh, transportation and, you know, f- look for alternate means to, you know, get to work, uh, for my day job and everything else, let alone home or, you know, um, canceling other appointments and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, transportation, that's a big one, you know, um, for a lot of you, you know, I'd, I'd say, Hey, um, you know, as much as like, we like to say, Hey, we need our cell phones. How many people truly need their cell phones? You know, maybe, maybe that'd be something good to give up for a period of time, you know, not just a couple hours, but you know, maybe a couple days a week, you know, go back to the the days of old where somebody needed to get a hold of you, you know, they, they, they called the house or they, they called work. Now, you know, if you don't have a landline, okay, cool. Limit your hours um, that you could answer the phone or make calls um, to like the day of yesteryear 
where where we had landlines strictly um, and don't do any of the other stuff on there. You know, stay off the internet and all that stuff. You know, break away from your phone for a while. Um, there's there's so many things out there, so many things that we can sacrifice. Um, you know, I, I digress. I'm kind of going down a rabbit trail here. Um, either way, you know, like I said, uh, there's so many things that we give up, and in the end, it is just an out, it's simply this. It is an outward demonstration. Uh, that we acknowledge and that we are truly sorry and repentant of our sins and that we recognize that we need God to intervene and to help us to break free of these things. Um, after all, you know, he is our chain breaker. Uh, moving into the final part of this chapter here, um, as we're getting closer to the end for today, um, Joel chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, the Bible says this, Alas for that day! For the day of the Lord is near, it will come like destruction from the Almighty. Has not the food been cut off before our very eyes? Joy and gladness from the house of our God. The seeds are shriveled beneath the clods. The storehouses are in ruins. The granaries have been broken down, for the grain has dried up. How the cattle moan. The herds mill about because they have no pasture. Even the flocks of sheep are suffering. To you, Lord, I call. For fire has devoured the pastures in the wilderness, and flames have burned up all the trees of the field. Even the wild animals pant for you. The streams of water have dried up, and fire has devoured the pastures in the wilderness. Look, without turning to the Lord and without getting his help and his mercy in our lives, our destruction is a guarantee. Plain and simple, it is guaranteed. It's written in the Bible. His word tells us, we know. Biblical warnings, even just that term, right? Biblical warnings aren't something we hear a lot about you know these days matter of fact when somebody says biblical you're usually watching something and it's kind of like a punchline or they're like oh you know we're gonna get biblical up in here and they kind of they treat it as a joke right um sometimes it's serious depending on what you're watching but still i mean it's it's not used properly and it's not something that we talk about in our daily lives that really we should you know uh people would just as soon Right off the Old Testament, especially. However, even Jesus warned us of the day that judgment is coming. So it's not just Old Testament, it's New Testament as well. Jesus warned us that, you know, we need to be ready. We need to be watching for it. You know, those who doubt it, those who refuse to accept Jesus in their lives or that God's even real, they truly have a terrifying wake-up call coming. While the rest of us who believe and are working to build that relationship with him, we'll find his love and we'll find his mercy. That's guaranteed. It's biblical. It's right here. It's in this book. It's in the Bible. See, the expression, the day of the Lord, this is something that is seen in the writings of multiple prophets as well. Right here in the Bible. You know, and every time that it has been used it's been used to point to something 
serious happening, something major, some tipping point where things are going to get drastic, all right? Something big is coming. And whether it's something that's going to happen presently or if it's something that is still to come way off in the distance, it doesn't matter because it's still a very ominous warning for the world. See, when it comes to the day of the Lord, there's a couple of things that never change. You know, and we saw it right here, right? First, sin's going to be judged. All of it. And secondly, you know, those of us, you know, Christians, those of us who are here, the you know, the believers, believers are going to see and go through a lot of suffering. Jesus already told us, we are going to suffer. That is part of life. No matter how much we believe in God, no matter how much we love Him, things are going to happen. You know, I talked about this recently. However, for those of us who continue to cling to God and are faithful and are loyal and do our best to do do what he has set forth in front of us, well, it's going to pay off. We're going to be rewarded for it because in the end, we are going to be with God forever in his heavenly kingdom. That is something that should give each and every one of us joy in our lives. And that that is hope right there. That is the light at the end of the tunnel. That we, we simply need to be obedient and cling to him. And we can find refuge in the fact that he will take care of everything in the end and he will take care of us. All right? So that's that's all the time that we have for today. You are blessed. So go and be a blessing. Go and be the church. Thank you all for joining us here today at Healing Scars with Pastor Burton. Please like, subscribe, and share our podcast on any platform it is that you tune into us on. If you do have any questions, any prayer requests, or would like to know more about our ministry, you can find us on our website at bethelightsanctuary.org or on Facebook at Be The Light Sanctuary. Uh, you can also find how to contact us there, whether it's direct message or email. We look forward to hearing from you all. God bless.